0: So welcome back and welcome to our backstory conversation. I was just saying that uh, Joe Radner is a professor emerita of literature at American University and she has her own Wikipedia page, which not all of us do have. I do. A teacher, folklorist, award-winning author. I've never seen it. Well, you should. So, uh, She's <clears throat> well-experienced in storytelling, but it's the first time on our virtual stage, and hopefully not your last. So let's plunge right in, Joe, and to set the stage, at True Tales Live, our focus is on first-person storytelling, and within that, we especially encourage first-time tellers. Storytelling, of course, is a much larger uh, domain than that, and you work in that wider domain. So I wonder if we can talk about that, but first, Joe, how did you get started in storytelling?
1: Well, I um, as you said, I was a teacher. And I taught at American University in Washington, D.C. And I was, when I went there, I was fresh from a PhD in early Celtic languages and literatures, which is not common and not something that makes for a lot of really good cocktail party conversation. <laughs> um, <clears throat> But I was really, what had taken me to that was a fascination with the power of oral literature. You know, Irish poets, old, early Irish poets could kill people with their poems. And storytellers like the griots of West Africa, Celtic storytellers, were responsible for maintaining the charters, the laws, the history, and so on. So I was busy sort of lecturing about oral cultures and you know what was so important about the function of literature and pre-literate societies and so on. And then one day I heard an actual storyteller, and I it I it was. The early 70s, J.O. Callahan was just beginning to be a storyteller. He wasn't well known. A friend of mine called me up uh, and said, I've got a friend named J.O. Callahan who's a storyteller. And um, he like he's coming to Washington. Would you like to meet him? So I invited him for lunch at the faculty dining room because I had a class right after lunch. And he told me about all these kinds of things. He he thought maybe it would be fun to be a storyteller and go abroad and actually be invited to tell stories all over the world. And I thought, well, I don't want to tell him that that's crazy and I'll (laughs) spare him. But then he said, would your class like to hear a story? And I was teaching this, you know, high powered Celtic, culture class right afterwards. And he said, I've got a story that I've just created for my children. I'd like to tell it. And I thought, well, this is is not going to fit in the curriculum, but why not? And he came and he told my class his story of the little dragon who can't blow fire and therefore feels inadequate. It was a wonderful story that he had just recently made for his children. And I watched my class, and all of a sudden, I realized I knew absolutely nothing about the power of oral narrative. Because they were just glued; they could have slid right down the slide into his mind. There was—they were in this trance that storytellers talk about—and I started to tell stories because it looked like so much fun, and I realized that I could teach through. Storytelling much better. Uh, If you're teaching about an oral culture, for Pete's sake, tell them some of the stories. And it made it it was a turning point in my understanding of all that stuff that I had been interested in without really knowing what it was. I discovered I could tell stories, so I've been telling them ever since. We had a an innovative adult storytelling theater in Washington called the Washington Storytellers Theater, Mm -hmm. and. um, We brought storytellers in from all over the country, and I started to tell and travel, and that's how it started.
0: Thank you for that. You mentioned in response to Sarah Bedingfield's question about your interest in oral histories. And uh, you've also mentioned that a lot of your stories are set in Northern New England and in Maine. And I'm particularly interested in your performance piece, Burst Burnt in Memory, about the 1947 fire in Brownfield. I wonder if you could tell us not only about that piece, but about how it came to be. It just sounds just fascinating.
1: Well, it came to be because years ago... I got a phone call from this was after I'd moved back to Western Maine, where my mother's family comes from. I got a I got a phone call from the uh, the principal of the Denmark Brownfield Elementary School. And she said, we'd like our students to know that story that, that history is stories about the past. Can you help us? What a lovely question. So I went and I taught every class in that School. It was a third to fifth grade school at the time, how to do oral history interviews and learn about the history of their town. And several of them wanted to learn about what everyone around here calls the fire, the 1947 fire that actually destroyed the town where half of those students lived, Brownfield. And I went to the historical society, and I found there was no oral history. And of course, it was already after, more than fifty years after the fire, and there were not a lot of people who remembered it. So I, um, I started. To, I brought people into the school for the students to interview, and then I spent a year interviewing people about their experiences with the fire. And they would say things like, "You know, I I can't tell this story," or I. I want it told, but I don't want to tell it anywhere but to you. Will you tell it? So I wound up creating an hour long story in honor of those people.
0: Yeah, it must be an amazing performance piece. Do you still perform it or are you going I to? I do.
1: I do quite regularly. And I also have a CD called ah. Memory, which you can get from me or from probably from Amazon.
0: Put that in the chat if you would.
1: Yeah, it's called Burnt (laughs) Into Memory. I don't know if I can chat and and talk at the same time. Uh,
0: Later on, or we'll put it out somehow. So just to shift gears a little bit, when you were president of the National Storytelling Network, you delivered a keynote address on the storytelling movement today. And I wonder what you think of the storytelling movement today, many years after that original keynote address, in particular after COVID-19. How do you see the storytelling movement today?
1: It was, that was, that was about 20 years ago. And um, I, and the storytelling movement has changed. There's a lot more personal storytelling. And I love what True Tales Live does, which is to give workshops to help people make, to craft their own stories. Because I think there's a, there's a very therapeutic effect in crafting your own story not just bleeding all over the audience because that does trouble people, you know, and, 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 you know, you don't want to tell a story when and the audience thinks they have to save you because it, it's distracting. <laughs> you want to, you want to tell a story about something that you've already healed from, you know, I, I've, I've healed from my seventh grade first date. And, and so you can too, David, should you have a first date, um, in seventh grade. But we want to feel that. You know, when we hear people's personal stories, we want them to be about more than themselves. We want them to, to have thought about the stories and ways in which they would actually have meaning for someone else as well. So, because we are all wounded. And telling personal stories is often about moments of wounding. But the stories need to carry us to a place where people can say, well, that wound is survivable or they're not going to profit from it somehow. So there's been a lot more of that. And of course, there's been a lot of storytelling that does not have to do with national organizations or even regional organizations like New England Storytelling, which is our New England you know, six or seven state organization here. Um, a lot of these informal story swaps um moth-inspired personal story things have gone all over the place. And that's a big movement that wasn't there then. But I still think that um what I love about storytelling itself is about its possibilities as an art form. And I love to and I agree everybody has a story but to call yourself a storyteller you need to hone it and shape it and pay attention to the art form because it's not an easy art form you have to be author and director and all the characters and all the props and everything you know you saw that piano player right well maybe not (laughs) But you (laughs) You know you have to create all of those and it really is it is very demanding it's it's more demanding than acting in a play because you have to you have to play on both sides of the net all the time.
0: Well, it's interesting that you mentioned uh, the healing aspects of storytelling. <clears throat> Years ago, there was a well-known Catholic P- priest, Henri Nouwen, who wrote a whole series of books about the wounded healer, and as a kind of way he talked about an aspect of ministry that most people don't think about. I'm a retired Unitarian Universalist minister, and I think there's a lot to be said about that. It sounds like you you didn't necessarily start out, but eventually did do storytelling, coaching and teaching as part of your uh, teaching literature at American University. Is that right?
1: I did. I taught all kinds of things. I taught everything I wanted to learn, <laughs> which is, of course, the best way to teach. Because Amen to that. You know, you don't learn something unless you're trying to teach it to somebody else. You just have to work your life so that 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 continues. So I did teach storytelling there um, and I taught it as a graduate course. And it was part of the MFA program mm-hmm. uh, in, in our department. But then I took early retirement um, in 2000 and moved back to Maine. And I've been doing it and teaching it. You know, I was teaching it before then also, too, and, and I've been doing that since.
0: And we're glad that you did and do. Just as a quick side question, uh, WAMU at American University is their radio station on which they broadcast the show called 1A that I often listen to. Were you? Did you do storytelling on the American University radio?
1: No, I think I, I was on it once or twice, but I... It wasn't a big deal, no. Just Although here. I love radio. I love storytelling on the radio and I I love reading to kids. I think I think it's hugely important, not just for healing, but for actually for the development of people's minds, that they have the experience of creating pictures in their minds from listening to people's words and stories.
0: Well, True Tales Live started out as a radio show on our local community radio station, and then we moved to local TV station. I think most of us would say that even though we're on television and now we're doing it on Zoom, we come to storytelling with a kind of feeling for the 40s and 50s radio shows that's sort of part of our DNA, at least that's the way I think about it. Well, my last question is always the same question, and it's one particularly appropriate for a teacher. For new or almost new storytellers, what would you offer as tips about storytelling? How would you coach those who are just thinking about trying trying out storytelling?
1: I think the first thing I would tell them is to listen to as many storytellers as you can, as many different storytellers go to festivals now, goodness gracious, through the grace of Zoom, we have we have so many stories. Every night there's a storytelling show, but find the good storytellers and follow them and try and see what they're doing. Uh, because you need, we don't have very much way of learning the craft. We don't have any conservatories for storytelling. We have very few, even, you know, classes in storytelling, in schools, and universities. There isn't, what we have instead are sort of at training by example and workshops at conferences, basically. And I think that it's very important to see yourself, if you're interested in being a performing storyteller, to see yourself already in the context of of the, the profession. And that takes work. Um, There are good ways of starting up. There are people who are interested in mentoring storytellers. The National Storytelling Network has a mentorship grant, which is, in fact, the applications are due on Saturday for this next round, which pays an experienced storyteller and a talented younger storyteller to work together for a year. Um, I would say that it's it's really good if if you want to be a storyteller to tell as often as you can, volunteer to tell in schools, in senior centers, Um, but also look for people who will give you critique and, and reflect back to you what you're doing and help you become better at it.
0: Thank you so much, Joe. Friends, this brings us to the end of our conversation. Thank you for your story, eyebrows, and for our conversation, Joe food for thought, so much to explore, wish we had more time, and perhaps we'll find another opportunity. This brings us not only to the end of our conversation, but to the end of our program. Thanks again to our True Tales Live crew. As Amy mentioned, our next event is our workshop two weeks from today on Tuesday, the 8th of November. As an organization, we don't endorse political candidates, but we do endorse the electoral process, We encourage you to cast your vote on the first Tuesday and join us for our free workshop the second Tuesday. If you are thinking about trying out storytelling, our workshops are a great way to start out. Sign up on our website. Our next show is Tuesday, November 29th, as Amy mentioned on the theme of silver linings. If you're already a subscriber to our uh, True Tales Times newsletter, we would ask a favor of you and that is to help build our readership and thereby our audience by sharing the times with your friends. They'll enjoy it and they can always opt out. Tonight's show will be posted on PPMTV's YouTube channel in about two days. Our editor, producer John Lovering does great work and he does it really, really fast. We're so appreciative, John. John Capecchi and Timothy Cage founders of Living Proof Advocacy Team, write, the ability to see our lives as stories and share those stories with others is at the core of what it means to be human. We use stories to order and make sense of our lives, to define who we are, even to construct our realities. As natural born storytellers, We respond to other stories because they are deeply and intimately familiar. That's our program for tonight. Thanks to our tellers and our crew and you.
1: My name is David Frainer. Good night.